Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. People are, can be very quick to jump on you know, and criticize or not believe, and, and it takes a lot of energy. And so I think building an organization where it doesn't mean people don't challenge you because just because I'm the leader and I'll come up with ideas. I know they're all interesting ideas maybe, but I I know intuitively they're not all workable. And I rely on my team to really help be that filter, but not necessarily just look to kill every idea. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frondoso. Welcome. Welcome back. How are you doing today? Thank you for taking your time to join me today. My guest today is Robert Levy, the president and founder of BrandSpark International, a marketing research and brand consulting firm based out of Toronto, Canada. For 16 years, Robert has led North America's most comprehensive annual survey of shoppers. It's called the BrandSpark Shopper Study, and he's managed the Top Consumer Package Goods Awards programs, the Best New Product Awards, and BrandSpark Most Trusted. In this episode, we discuss how BrandSpark uncovers meaningful customer insights by understanding their clients' goals, which ultimately helps the business make impactful decisions. We also talk about brand positioning, specifically how Robert used it in his earlier days when BrandSpark was launched. We look at the value at looking at both qualitative and quantitative information. We talk about brand positioning and how unfiltered reviews have changed the way consumers buy online. Today's Business Leadership Podcast is sponsored by True Shield Insurance. As a proud supporter of Canadian startups and entrepreneurs, True Shield offers solutions that help protect you from the risks you may face today, tomorrow, or down the road. True Shield knows small business. Learn more at trueshield.ca. And with that, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Robert. Thanks, Edwin. Nice to be here. Yeah, super happy. Super excited to to have this time with you. Um, I know you. we're going to go through a number of things and, and including some of your journey and your experience. But Robert, if you please, can you introduce yourself to the listeners today? First off, tell us who you are and what you like to do when you're not, I guess, growing or leading businesses. So, uh, yeah, my name's Robert Levy. I'm the president of BrandSpark International, which is a market research and brand insights consulting company that I founded in 2001. And so almost uh, almost 20 years. And now it's um, there's three different uh, companies that are all related. There's the, the BrandSpark Research and Consulting. Um, there's the Credentialing business under the Best New Product Awards, as well as the BrandSpark Most Trusted Awards, so two of Canada's leading 
uh, credentialing awards programs that are also uh, leading in the U.S. So it's a North American-based program. And our newest um, member of the, of the family is shopperarmy.ca, which is a community of shoppers which, who also can uh, get cash back through our affiliate marketing platform with Amazon and 60 other retailers. So kind of now a consumer platform, which brings really the 20 years of, of work and integrates our legacy business with, a, uh, with our own startup. Oh, wow. So, I mean, let's, let's, I just like to break that down. I mean, it sounds like you've been in the business, the market research a long time, Robert. And just to give, mostly for myself and also those who are listening, a little breakdown of those three credentials or, or these three product or services that you provide and, and, and the significance and importance to it and, and how it relates to those in the industry or those who are listening and why they should be looking at it now. So first of all, the market research company was founded after I spent seven years as vice president uh, of Cara Operations, which was Canada's and still is Canada's largest uh, restaurant company, now known as Recipe uh, Unlimited. And Mm -hmm. then I had a number of roles there as VP of real estate, VP of franchising. Um, I was fortunate because I was brought back after spending two to three years consulting part of living in Europe, and then being hired by Cara to help them open a Harvey Swiss Chalet restaurant in uh, Prague, of all places. And that mm-hmm. led to being uh, you know, asked back to join, to uh, come back to Canada and lead first the international development and then different roles. And the final role that really led to BrandSpark was being chosen to be part of what was initially called the branding team, where the brands had actually run into some trouble and it's an interesting story of, of how these incredibly well-established brands, Swiss Chalet Harvey's, um, again, were starting to face some, some challenges. The company wanted to grow. And they brought in uh, a new president from a company we had purchased, uh, Wayne Holm. And uh, he picked me to, uh, to, to help him um, set up a branding team, first and foremost, to create this kind of consumer-focused, fact-based approach Mm-hmm. Um, which was quite revolutionary at the time. We brought in an ex-McKinsey uh, brand consultant, and we had this kind of six months of almost going back to MBA school, um, wow. reporting right up to the president. We had complete access to all the data, and it was really to rebuild uh, an intelligence system as opposed to a data system where we could really put all the pieces of information from the consumer, brand experts, actual behavior, and be able to tell a story and, uh, and make decisions and help the brands um, grow again, but grow profitably and strategically. So that experience was really very unique. I was vice president of real estate at the time. The temporary secondment to the branding team turned into an offer to head up uh, a new branding department uh, with some really bright young uh, analysts that we kind of hired right from school and we just had this mandate to work with the teams across all the different brands and um, build up a brand intelligence system. That gave me access to working with our, our agencies, our media agencies, advertising, PR, and really pulling all the pieces together um, so that we were all, in a way, singing from the same song sheet. Strategically, everyone understood what the key priorities were, uh, the competitive environment, the real deep consumer insights and drivers. And so after doing that for four years, um, I then decided that was the right time to start BrandSpark. So BrandSpark was really started 
um, based on my insight of how to create a consulting company, but that was going to operate like it was part of um, an existing business and integrate almost as part of the team and be much more actionable uh, in terms of the insights and not just say, here's the research study or here, what are your questions? Here are the answers. But like, what do we do about it? And what's going to make a difference? And how do we know if it's working? So I think that genesis was really formed by my internal experience within a major corporation uh, that I was fortunate to be part of. I mean, it, I mean, it's an amazing journey. And it sounds like it's also, you know, you're working with interesting aspects of business when it comes to branding and gathering real customer insights. And I, this may be uh, a tough question given um, given probably a lot of customers you've worked with, but were there like some real highlights or customer projects that you worked on was like, aha, what we're doing, we really got it. So there are a couple that come to mind um, that were quite transformative during my care years. There are a couple. So one, um, the business uh, was struggling, firstly, thinking about the, the burger business. Very, very competitive, strong U.S. competitors. And um, it was about trying to figure out where the position for Harvey should be. And one of the books I think that influenced me the most when I was you know, taking my marketing degree at McGill in the 80s was uh, positioning the battle for your mind by recent trout so kind of the the really classic brand positioning book that kind of created this whole um almost um you know expression brand positioning and what it means and so it was really going back to the essence of what was the brand positioning for harvey's and what could we do that was different we, we were seeing some periods of, of same restaurant sales decline which was kind of the key metric for the restaurant business and we were able to take this as a first case study of this new branding team to see what could we come up with. And it was interesting that we were able to come up with a, a promotion that just turned the tide. And it was really interesting to see that happen by going back to basic principles and making some tough decisions that, that were difficult internally because up until that point, and this goes back now to the early nineties. So it's very different that, you know, everyone, if you did it, had a cheeseburger, it was processed cheese and everything was based on cost down to, you know, like to the, to the penny. And we realized that we needed to come out with this promotion at the time it was called the Harvey Swiss mushroom melt. And the, the, the key insight was that we needed to be the first to actually put a real piece of Swiss cheese on, not a processed cheese. And um, that was like a, a real debate inside because the cost implications were quite significant when you start to have a big volume. And uh, we won that, you know, we, we created consensus that this was the right thing to do, uh, given Harvey's positioning as, you know, the, the, the higher end of premium hamburgers, but still at an affordable price. And it actually was incredibly successful as a promotion. It turned around the business um, and it created confidence that you could actually run your business by having a consumer-focused, fact-based approach, but still apply the talent. It was an art and science as opposed to let's try this, let's try that. And, you know, the worst meetings that I had in, in the company were these kind of post-advertising or campaign tracking meetings. And if the campaign went well, nobody really cared. Everyone was happy. And if it didn't go well, you'd have all of this data, which you could never apply again. So it was actually post as opposed to investing pre, where you could actually make a difference and then, you know, base 
base it on 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 a on a fact base. And so that was a very interesting um, example. And then the whole team started to believe in having more of a disciplined approach as opposed to it being threat or something else. And then from that, we really created momentum. It's important to get some wins when you're in a company. And the second one that was also interesting and quite charged was a very famous, iconic campaign that basically almost every Canadian would be familiar with. And this is Swiss Chalet's festive special where you um, used to get a Toblerone chocolate bar um, as part of the festive special. And it was really something people looked forward to. And one day, um, the um, Jacob Suchard people, the craft Jacob Suchard, who owned Toblerone, kind of let us know that they didn't want to continue partnering and having Toblerone be part of Swiss Chalet because they thought they would take this brand a little more upscale. And this was our most successful promotion. It was responsible for a big part of sales. Everyone was nervous. And again, we were able to go back and research, uh, bring the consumer in, both with quantitative and qualitative. And again, part of what I love about this approach is that you see multiple points coalescing in a certain direction, and then you know you're on the right journey. And we learned very quickly that basically we could make the change and it wasn't going to destroy the promotion. The core elements were still people coming in because they liked the chicken and the extra, you know, um, sides that were provided and the, the idea of having something that was re-giftable. And so we actually then, uh, Lint came to us in those early days of Lint chocolate becoming as big as they are um, as an option to replace Toblerone with Lint, different company. We tested this against a number of different options. It came up as testing really equally as well as Toblerone. We switched. Everybody was very nervous because there was a lot at stake. And um, basically, the transition was seamless and really helped build Lint's profile. It also taught me that I think uh, the Toblerone team was making a gut-based decision that wasn't fact-based and that ended up, I think, being a big mistake on their part because they were piggybacking on this tremendous brand and tremendous exposure, and I don't think they've actually ever recovered. Wow. Well, first off, thanks for sharing. Secondly, being a, being a child of the 90s, I guess I was in high school at the time, those two campaigns that you were part of, I think I was personally affected by them. I loved Harvey's and I actually worked at Swiss LA. <laughs> so the crazy thing is uh, you were on the other end of that. So uh, amazing, amazing story. And I really like how, you know, you really describe very specific in terms of how you went about um, working with the data. And, and just real quickly, as I know some of the listeners may be wondering, as you come up with these challenges and you navigate this within your organization, like how did you, and may, maybe you're much better at it now given experience, but given these roadblocks internally to change the thought process of older organizations, what, like, so what are some of the best practices or tips that you could share to us today regarding getting buy-in? That's a great question. And uh, what's exciting about both of those campaigns, actually, they still are uh, exist today. So that's when you come up with good ideas, you also don't have to just change them for the sake of changing them. Something's working. I think I, I use the example of Howard Schultz when I was reading his book Onward about uh, when he stepped back into CEO. And it kind of 
um, related very much to some of my experiences uh, back in the Cara days, but even today at Brandspark. And when he stepped back in, one of the decisions he took was to pull out thousands uh, of automated coffee machines. Because at one point, obviously, they had you know decided speed of service was an issue, which of course it is. And they went and changed all the manual Italian coffee machines for these automated push-button uh, coffee machines, which had been put into all of the Starbucks, these big gray machines where you no longer could see the barista. All they had to do was push a button. And their testing had shown that, in fact, if you did blind taste tests, the coffee was indistinguishable, but served much more quickly and much more consistently. And therefore, those metrics justified them bringing in all those machines. And one of the things he came to and said, yeah, but we've lost the soul of Starbucks. We've lost the connection to the barista and um, anyone else can duplicate it. So and he made the decision to pull all those machines out at the cost of obviously millions and millions of dollars and bring in a semi-automatic, you know, beautiful looking copper machine lower so you could actually see the barista. And today, those are the machines that you find at every single Starbucks. And that to me really resonated where sometimes you have to make the decision based on the brand. And I think as an entrepreneur, and I think that's what you need is people on the team who um, really get passionate and do their homework and then stay passionate because it's easy to come up with an idea, but it's not easy to execute. And you have to really stay, you know, true to this idea and give it time because these things never happen as quickly as you want. And so, and people are, can be very quick to jump on, you know, and criticize or not believe and, and it takes a lot of energy. And so I think building an organization where it doesn't mean people don't challenge you because just because I'm the leader and I'll come up with ideas. I know they're all interesting ideas maybe, but I, I know intuitively they're not all workable and I rely on my team to really help be that filter, but not necessarily just look to kill every idea. And I think that's the the, the, the chemistry that has worked so well uh, for me on my team when I was at Kara um, with a leader that really allowed me to have that, that room, that breathing room. It's almost like oxygen for a fire. And mm-hmm. I think that's been the key to success of our, you know, our organization here and the team that we, that we have. That's awesome. Robert, can you talk about, I guess, your BrandSpark Most Trusted Award, specifically real, I mean, like, why why did your company start it? And maybe for the business leaders who are listening, what type of insights are gathered from the awards? Sure. I mean, there's a rapidly changing consumer landscape, consumer journey, shopping journeys are changing, options have multiplied almost overnight, almost nothing is bought the same way many, many industries being dramatically disrupted. So we felt there was an opportunity to help consumers and brands, first by measuring brand trust, and then by helping both consumers learn about which brands are trusted by other consumers, because we know from our research that recommendations from friends and families are always influential, but consumer-voted, research-backed credentials or awards are, are just behind and, and very valuable to consumers and also very valuable for brands to help them stand out. So we chose an unaided methodology where we actually uh, conduct a national survey. We canvassed thousands um, of actual consumers, both in Canada and the U.S., 
And we find out from them across a large variety of categories what brands they trust the most. And we find out why in their own words. And one of the things that we learned early on from kind of ethnographic research um, really started um, when I was uh, building this branding department at Kara. The value of qualitative and quantitative information. So qualitative, when you hear from consumers in their own words, whether oral or written, um, as well as the quantitative when people are going through and you can get it at scale. And I'm a firm believer that you really want to look at both of those together before you get a sense of where to go. And that's been something that we built into our Best New Product Awards when we launched was always finding out and asking people to tell us the why, which is what I always study. I always go through the whys and then kind of look at the quantitative. And so we found that this was um, actually a very accurate measure because of the methodology we approached. And we found that both consumers, the media and brands were super interested in understanding um, the results and then the insights. And we could see that, you know, some categories um, are very competitive, some categories um, are not. And then it's been very useful for even, you know, brands like P&G, for example, when they were divesting of a lot of their brands, um, they used the brand spark most trusted to even communicate to their financial community. The brands that they were holding on to had an incredibly high success rate in being the leaders in each of their categories, which was, you know, obviously part of their strategy. But this also became a validation based on the consumer, you know, independent consumer research. I mean, it's really, and it, it sounds like it's like a scale. And for the brands, for the stakeholders, it's something to be, to be proud of as well as as they work towards great, gaining the trust of the company. Um, speaking of trust, I guess, <laughs> um, Robert, like why do you think uh, trust is, is an important factor these days when when people are looking to make a purchasing decision so i'd say unfiltered reviews have completely changed the way we buy online with the presence of positive and negative reviews so consumers are are now savvy Um, they can see when the reviews are not genuine their smartphones are generally with them at all times whether they're online or whether they're offline And I think it's now changed how we buy anything and everything. So the consumer with their, you know, omnipresent smartphones are firmly in control. And I think they can also see uh, the difference between marketing and positive and negative. And that's been transformational because you would never go onto a website and see anything negative if it was supported by the brand. Now they know if they just have five-star reviews, that's not credible. Um, They also know if they don't show negative reviews, that's not going to be credible. So I think that trust, um, because it's so easy um, to put something up online, we did some research around our new Shopper Army platform, again, which is an affiliate cashback site, as well as sharing reviews of products that have been reviewed by our Shopper Army product testers. And one of the first things that we had a focus group in our office, which is in Midtown Toronto, and people were genuinely surprised that we had a real office, that we were real people. We had a whole team that we were based on, you know, a a business that was in the marketing research connected to other awards. And they really liked that. So that's why when we built our site, we put pictures of our team, we, we told them we have an office in Toronto, because it's, it's so easy to put up a front today. Um, and I think um, 
based on real practical experience of other consumers, consumers are thirsty for that kind of validation and confirmation, especially if they have to spend money. Small business owners, TrueShield can prepare you for the unexpected with the right insurance coverage. For example, phishing is a cybercrime that tricks you into revealing sensitive information. Phishing occurs as a phone call, text, or email. And small businesses are the target for over half of all email scammers. The result can be damage to your reputation, data leaks, legal trouble, and financial loss. TrueShield Cyber Risk Insurance helps protect your small business from certain financial losses so phishing won't affect your bottom line. Learn more about Cyber Risk Insurance today online at trueshield.ca. It's so funny how you talk, you just mentioned, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, it was just in a conversation I was having recently where it's so fast to put up, let's say, quote unquote, a new company, a new brand, and make it look amazing online. And literally, it could be nobody behind that brand. So it's just it's just interesting to to hear these stories from you. And when you bring in these market researchers and these these affiliates and everyone who who helps provide that, um, I just want to shift gears real quickly. And I know you shared a lot, Robert, and I appreciate it. And I guess in the sense that the journey that you've had going as an executive within a multinational um, into building out your own successful business. Um, I'm wondering if you could actually share a very difficult situation, and this could be any time throughout your career, um, that really like something that you had to make as a business leader um, that allowed you to like significantly grow as a business leader you are today. Um, sure. I think uh, my formative years um, at, I'll give you one example from kind of the, the corporation days and uh, internally within, uh, with, within my own business in, in starting Shopper Army. Um, I think internally as a team member, when uh, I was hired, I was the youngest VP brought into, you know, what was a very established company. And there was a new president um, who I really had no relationship with. And I remember at one point it was very, very strong, very, you know, very, very smart, very, very opinionated, very, very decisive kind of leader uh, who'd come through, you know, an entrepreneurial rank as opposed to a team-based uh, or coaching-based rank uh, or experience. And at one point, uh, I made a presentation, and and I was actually I came out with points that were contradictory to him. It was one of those meetings that you know, wait till the leader says something, and then everybody follows suit. And I was kind of one of the only, or if not the only person who actually contradicted him with, again, some fact-based or consumer focus, not, not to make a point, but just I, I had a different view. And, you know, those are always tough encounters and your peers are looking. And actually, after the meeting, I went to him and I said, you know, I hope you don't mind that I spoke up and I kind of went against what you were saying. And he looked at me kind of surprised. And he said, well, no, of course not. Then what's the point of having you in this meeting if you're not going to? But what he didn't realize was that no one else did because it was pretty intimidating. 
And I think for me, um, it's one of the things that I, I kind of swore that when I was going to start my own company to make sure that I was not one of those people that I didn't want people to just be yes people around me. So I make it a habit of in every meeting going around the table. If someone's going to be in that meeting, I want to hear what they have to say. And along my journey, I was exposed to a lecture about introverts versus extroverts and explaining that in North America, we're generally a society of extroverts that prize extroverts, but there are other societies, Scandinavia, Japan, where it's the opposite. The majority of people are introverts and extroverts are a bit of the outcasts. And that I took that, I took that to heart um, and then put a little test in that people who are introverts, I realized they don't really care if they, sh- if you, if they share their opinions or not. Um, they, they're listening. And because they're listening and not talking all the time, they tend to have really good ideas, but you're only going to get those ideas if you ask for them. And so I've kind of made it just a little habit that, you know, I go around the table, I make sure uh, people talk and their opinions come out. And it's always surprising the people who aren't necessarily talking naturally have something to say. And I'm also saying, well, you know, why didn't you say that? They go, well, you didn't ask me. I go, wow. Um, and then I always make sure that I talk last because what I don't want to do is influence people. And I want to feel if I've got something to contribute that no one else has said, then I've actually added value to the meeting. And I think so that was kind of, um, you know, some personal development that came from my own, my own position. And then it was, you know, challenging when I was starting Shopper Army, uh, which was a new startup.com, very different to, again, you know, create uh, this consensus and vision and, and involve people, but, you know, be, be determined that there was uh, an opportunity for us. Now, that's, that's, that's a great example. And I hear this over and over again in terms of like meeting dynamics, understanding the team that you have in the room. And like you said, realizing that not everyone is the same and that you have to invite feedback have you um and just real quickly have you found that there is one an optimal meeting room size or how many people you want in the meeting and and secondly for those introverts or those individuals that you respect do you sometimes have to go to them after the meeting and ask for their insights as well or does it do you find that it's just happening um organically now in terms of the the meeting uh, the meeting place I think the team uh, knows what to expect, um, and I think one of the you know one of the, the questions you had asked me about you know what kind of leader would your team say you are? So I just went and asked them and and got some quotes. And one of the quote was democratic leadership style that takes the feedback of everyone and forms it into the best decision for the company and team. And uh, you know, ideas driven and feeds off the team's ideas to articulate the best vision possible for the organization. And so, I think uh, I'm pretty proud of those because uh, if you know, if there's a meeting, everybody knows they're going to be asked to contribute, and I don't wait till after the meeting. If I hear after there was an idea, I'll actually say, that, you know, that would have been a lot more helpful if you had contributed that, you know, during the meeting. So there could have been uh, either consensus or a discussion. It's not quite as useful to get that after. No, that's great. And talk to me about that exercise, actually, where you had to, not had to, but when you reached out to your team members to find out find out what they think about you and your leadership style. Like, is this something that you oftenly do or was it just, I guess, 
because um, you know you were going to speak to me and, and sort of understanding what I may I may ask that question. <laughs> yeah, it was more based on uh, on your response, but I think it, or your questions, but I I actually think it's uh, it's it's a good idea and it's a good 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 check in for. Uh, for leaders to do. I mean, at one point, there was this very popular 360 feedback. Um, I'm always a little bit skeptical of trying to institutionalize um, um, systems like that, even though the idea, of course, makes sense to understand your perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I think what was good to hear back was, you know, the sense of what they think and they and it aligns with my own view of myself as a leader and also as a CEO. Um, I mean, I think they, they luckily see me as a couple of things of, you know, visionary, which is great, um, never settles and always strives to make things better, persistent and fight for what he wants. That's a fine line. I think um, I look at that and I see that as a positive feedback. I think that's where you do have to temper. And I and I really believe that people can contribute irrespective of their p- title, position, um, and their and their you know their their length of tenure. We we have a pretty active intern system now. Like for you know even a company our size, we had like just recently six interns, two in our shopper army team uh, from from Waterloo generally, uh, two in our awards program. And two in our research program, and it's a pretty big investment that we now make in this internship uh, system. And I've been amazed because I find, you know, they within within a week um, they are contributing and, and feeling confident. And we make sure that they are part of it. They come to meetings, they contribute, they're at the table, and their opinion. Uh, you know, at the beginning they're a little shy, they're a little overwhelmed. But I think it's been amazing how often their perspectives, their contributions, and then they go off and make fantastic contributions. So I think it's been very energizing for everyone that uh, that's you know really w- the way this culture uh, thrives and something that I'm very proud of. Um, Robert, every business leader has uh, you know like um, advisory mentors, people that they trust to help them. Grow. I'm wondering if you can name someone, a mentor, um, that made a tremendous impact on you as the business leader you are today. It could be anyone um, throughout your career. Yeah. So I think um, I've been very fortunate, first of all, to have started my independent business when I, I was a lawyer, then took a leave of absence and moved with my wife to Europe. So my first partner in terms of the entrepreneurial journey was my wife, Patricia who is also a lawyer and very different working styles and very complementary skills and very much believing in the vision. And so that's been at the core of, of being very fortunate. We've worked together uh, really ever since and, uh, and still have lunch together most days. And so it's really great to have, you know, a sounding board, uh, a trusted advisor, um, but also someone who can just blend right into the organization. So I think that's been, you know, to, to start off a, a very, uh, important part of getting me where I am today and in, in our company. I think in terms of one of the mentors and uh, influential influential people was when I was at Cara. Again, I had mentioned that you know the business had run into some headwinds, and we had bought a company from BC called Spectra. It had been started by two entrepreneurs, uh, Peter Bonner and Wayne Holm. 
Both of them were first and foremost professional athletes, one a skier, one uh, CFL football, and both had gone into an organi- restaurant organization uh, that's very well known called The Keg, uh, still one of the strongest restaurant brands and maybe one of the strongest brands I've actually ever interacted with, still strong after maybe 40 plus years, which is pretty remarkable in any business, uh, but certainly in the restaurant business. And that was started by an entrepreneur that was all about team and coaching first and then the business second. And that whole culture, still, when you go into a keg, it's still amazing to watch the team-based approach, the customer-focused, and the passion for their product. Well, that that really uh, left an imprint on both Wayne and Peter. Wayne became the president of Kara to help, you know, right the ship. And I had the, the good fortune to really work very closely with him. And I think I just learned, uh, I learned a ton in terms of Things like he wasn't going to make decisions for me or anyone on the team, but he'll coach and help with the right questions. But we had to make the decisions. We couldn't. And then today, that's the same way for me is I don't want to make decisions for my team. It's like, you know, what do you want to do? And I'll put in my two cents when I can add something. And he brought in a whole bunch of team-based things like the 24-hour rule and definition of insanity was expecting a different result with doing exactly the same thing. And 24 hours, take a moment, step back, reflect before you you engage. And I think that whole idea of team and coach, I learned uh, tremendously from both Wayne and Peter, who became very successful entrepreneurs in their own. And I try very hard to uh, to think of, of both of them and a kind of a non-judgmental trusting approach that if you have people around you and you hire the right people, trust them. They're going to do the right thing and and try not to be judgmental in when they come. And even if they make mistakes, it's okay to do it once. You want that culture to happen, but you want to learn from it. So I think there are a lot of, a lot of uh, lessons learned around coaching and team um, that I have tried to, um, to really aspire to, to be that kind of leader. Yeah, no, thank you for for sharing that. And really, it's always insightful to hear where successful business leaders are learning from, whether they're, you know, your internal stakeholder at home to to the early business leaders that really help them shape the way they, you know, take upon business, whether it's on themselves or, or in bigger organizations. Really having a fascinating conversation, Robert, and, and all this stuff is fascinating to me um, as I you know, look to build even my own brand when it comes to the business leadership. Um, but I'd love to, before we slowly wrap up, I'd love to get um, what else is going on in your life. Like, do you have any other special projects, initiatives, or anything fun that you're super excited about and, and, and maybe maybe losing sleep on? So, yeah, we're, uh, we've just... Um, created a new partnership with the Canadian Cancer Society, and I'm really excited about this one with ShopperArmy.ca. So, um, and we've we've partnered with them to help them be more effective and find new ways of raising money for a very good cause for for research. It's the national organization that uh, really provides a ton of resources for um, in the whole area of coping and, and learning uh, and improving uh, the whole area of cancer. So they run a very successful national uh, program called the CIBC Run for the Cure, which is going to be on October 6th, 
we have partnered with them to create the shopperarmy.ca shop for the cure, which is going to be the kickoff of a campaign that for two weeks, we're so September 28th until October 13th, uh, we're going to donate 100% of the affiliate revenues that we receive from the retailers who pay us when we send Shopper Army members to buy on their sites, which is called affiliate marketing. And we're, we, we share that affiliate marketing with our members. So, and we, we, uh, we maintain a portion to run the site. And so we're going to donate uh, all of our affiliate earnings during that campaign. We're also going to set the Canadian Cancer Society up as a, an option for our members who earn their Shopper Army dollars to be able to donate all or a portion of their dollars to the Canadian Cancer Society um, and actually receive a tax receipt for contributions um, that qualify. And we're going to involve um, the brand. So we have the great fortune because of the relationships we've established through our Best New Product Awards and BrandSpark Most Trusted to work with the leading CPG or consumer packaged goods brands and have had long relationships with them. We're also going to be able to encourage them to match contributions and offer special bonus offers to our members and therefore create really a closed loop performance marketing um, for cause marketing. Because again, it'll be the first time we'll be able to really see what impact um, this can have both at a brand level for the Canadian Cancer Society for Shopper Army, and also to help our Shopper Army members feel that this collective really can make a difference. Because, you know, we used to have change in our pockets and buy a daffodil or buy, you know, a poppy on the street. We don't have change anymore. We're in a tap culture. If I can't tap, I'm not interested. And so, and there's a lot of uh, competition now for good causes. So what the Canadian Cancer Society was excited is that we are also Canadian, um, driven uh, program and platform. And so we're uh, just gearing up to get that off the ground. And we're very, very excited about building Shopper Army also um, as a force. And basically, we're going to create running teams across the the country, we're going to set up pages, and it'll be really an easy way for people to shop online. It's on Amazon. And we offer actually the highest rates on Amazon in the country on everything you buy on Amazon, which, of course, we know, you know, 40% plus of Canadians are shopping, 60 other retailers that we've curated. So if you're going to shop anyways, why not shop through Shopper Army? And a little bit of money from a lot of people can really make a positive difference. So this is uh, a very exciting and uh, groundbreaking program that we are kicking off soon with uh, Canadian Cancer Society. I mean, it, it's thank you for sharing, and it's super apparent with the uh, with the sirens behind you as uh, as you talk about groundbreaking and launching. I love it. <laughs> um, we're done. We're at the industry, so uh, yeah, it's one of the one of the pitfalls or benefits of being uh, on the young streets. Fine, is uh, we hear sirens, but yeah. hopefully everyone okay. No, I I I heard it. Loud and clear, but we'll be sure, um, Robert, and, and I'll get all the links that are applicable to everything that you mentioned and everything that's launching partnerships, and we'll put it on the episode page for, so for those who are listening and interested. Um, definitely just check out the episode page. Um, final thoughts from you, Robert, before I let you go. Um, you know, any piece of wisdom, observations, ideally actionable items that you could share to the uh, emerging business leader who's listening today? 
Sure. I think leadership is a journey. There are a couple of uh, principles that I hold dear, and I think it's always important to um, understand your brand, your vision, and explain that um, to to your team so they, they really understand uh, and then can put their heart and soul into it. I think when I started my business, I was actually given a non-business book, which ended up having a big impact uh, both on me I think uh, my company and also my family, and it was a, a book that uh, was called The Four Agreements, and it was all about Toltec wisdom. And uh, the four agreements are really easy to apply and can actually keep you out of a lot of trouble. And, and if you want, I'll be happy to just give you the four quick agreements. So the first one is don't take things personally. We always take things personally. It's not necessarily a bad thing because we're passionate about what we do, but it's not always about us. And the second rule ties into that is don't make assumptions. Take the trouble to find out um, what where the person is coming from and really what's at stake before you immediately assume it's about you and, and jump to conclusions. The third one is be impeccable with your word. That, that makes sense on its own, but there's a, another side to it which is interesting is that don't use the word against yourself either because we can always beat ourselves up forever about mistakes or things we didn't do. And that ultimately is not constructive. And the fourth one is try your best. So I think these four agreements have kind of keep, keep me, uh, I hope, out of trouble and also apply it internally to, for our team dynamics and uh, even uh, within my own family life. No, that's great. And that's that's from a book called The Four Agreements. Thank you for sharing that, Robert. To close, can you share with us um, where we could find you know more information about you, um, your company, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? I'm sure uh, we try to keep uh, my LinkedIn profile uh, up to date with uh, interviews or uh, press releases that we give from uh, our research and our BrandSpark Shopper Study, which is kind of the largest North American shopper study on uh, attitudes and behaviors of shoppers. We um, And I think our website, brandspark.com, which is being updated, our shopperarmy.ca uh, for anyone who wants to learn and, uh, and be able to contribute uh, by their e-commerce purchases. And then we have our brandsparkmosttrustedawards.com, which has all the list of all of the brands that are trusted by Canadians and Americans across many different categories in our press releases. And uh, our best new product, bestnewproductawards.com site as well. Um, and so actually, no, sorry, bestnewproductawards.biz, B-I-Z, which is uh, really our B2B site, which uh, shows uh, how brands are using um, both of our credentials to uh, communicate their superiority to consumers. Well, awesome, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure having you join us on the, the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Edwin. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for your time and for uh, sharing your experience as well. And uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode 127 with Robert Levy. If you want to learn more about Robert, BrandSpark International, or anything else that we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 127. Join me on my private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for The Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. Thank you again to today's sponsor, TrueShield Insurance. 
Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.